great to be here with you tonight. And, and as, uh, as I was preparing, I was, uh, had um, our youth night in mind, and uh, I thought, man, I could come in here and, and uh, be cool, you know, like I could be young and cool, and I've realized something. Um, I just don't have it anymore. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm just not that cool anymore. I, I used to be cool. I really did. I used to be, I used to be cool. I used to be lit. <laughs> just, you guys didn't even get it. <laughs> uh, tonight, on, I, uh, I was thinking today, I was, I was thinking about who might be here tonight, and I took, I went all the way back. I'm 46 years old. I'll be 47 in May. May the 14th, I'll be 47 years old. And, uh, and so um, I, was, I was thinking way, way back. Not as far back as some of you. <laughs> but, um, but way back, and I remember there was a point in my life and probably around Sam's age when I turned 13 and, and uh, maybe 14, I could think about nothing else except two things. Well, three things really, but, but uh, mainly two things. Girls, sorry baby, I was thinking about you a long, long time ago. <laughs> a girl, I should just say girl, just girl. And getting my driver's license. You guys remember that? You guys remember getting your driver's license? How old are you guys? Are you guys 16, 14, 15, 16? 18, 18, okay, very cool. So I, I remember, I remember just really not being able to think about anything else. You guys remember that back there? That was a long time ago for some of you, and it wasn't that long ago for others, but, but I cannot, I, I remember thinking back, and, and I couldn't think about anything else except getting my driver's license. And so on my 16th I went down to 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 Pryor. We were able to get our driver's license in Pryor at that point, and so I went down to Pryor and I took my test and I uh, broke the speed limit on my driving test. I did. I think I got a 71 percent on the driving test because I drove down Park Street uh, about 10 miles over the speed limit. <laughs> but I got my driver's license and man I was stoked and so if 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 I wasn't using my driver's license to drive I was looking at my driver's license and it wasn't because the picture was good it wasn't uh, it wasn't that great but I was so excited to drive and I I took my driver's uh, course or er, uh, driver's license test in a Ford Aerostar van. I mean, it, you talk about cool. I mean, like I told you, I told you I was cool earlier. Man, I was, I, I rolled up in my Ford Aerostar van, a minivan, and it was, it was awesome. My mom and dad um, um, got me my first car, and it was a 1966 now I'm only 46, so it wasn't back. It wasn't new. It was this was an old car then, 1966 Chevy Impala, and everybody's like, "Yeah, that's cool," but it had four doors, and it was as long as this building. I mean, if now no offense to the grandmas in the room because I love you, but it was a grandma car, and that car would just float down the road. It just floated 
down the road. And, and yeah, to be honest, I was just happy to have a car. I was just excited to be able to have the freedom to get out on the road and to do my thing. But something happened, and I was already working, and so I had been saving my money to buy my own car. And my aunt sold me her 1976 Camaro. Now, that's a little upgrade from the grandma car, right? It, it's, a, it's a better car. Now, it's, it's not as cool as some, but it's cooler than others. And so, so I, I got my, this 1976 uh, a Camaro. And it, it needed some work. It needed some paint. It needed some interior work. It needed new tires and wheels. But, but I'd been saving, and so I, got, I, I, I painted it this beautiful uh, maroon, metallic maroon. Oh, man, it looked good. Shiny new uh, wheels and, and tires. I did some interior work. It was awesome. There was a difference in the way that I treated the 1966 Chevy Impala that, than I did the 76 Camaro. There was a difference. Um, for one, because I was really proud of the Camaro. Man, I kept it clean. I kept the oil changed. I did, you know, I, it was, it, I, kept, I kept it just, I mean, it looked good, right? Um, the 66 Chevy Impala, you know, I'd park at the back of the, you know, so nobody see me what I drove up in, in my grandma car. And, you know, I, there, there was something that changed in the way that I, I perceived and the way that I looked at and the way that I took care of my Camaro. Because, Here's the difference. It was mine. You with me? It was mine. I paid for it. I, I did all the work to it. Um, it, w- it, was, it was mine. I owned that car. And, and uh, so I, I was thinking through that today, and, and I was thinking, you know, that, that's much like our relationship with the Lord. When we're depending on our parents or um, someone else for our faith, it's great. You learn a lot. You begin to, to, to understand more of the Lord, and, and you, you understand certain aspects of, of, of what it takes to follow Christ. And, and that's, a, that's a, a, a vitally important step in the, in, in the Christian process. Right to to watch other uh, other followers follow hard after Christ, and so that's important. But there has to come a time in your life where you begin to take ownership of your faith. You with me? There's a difference. You treat it different. Instead of watching someone else do it, you begin to do it yourself. You begin to 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 do the work, and you begin to to be diligent in in making sure that that things happen exactly the way that they should. Tonight, I I want to I want to 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 use that as a as a jumping off point for the message tonight, because listen, your faith has to be your faith, or it's not your faith at all. You with me? It has to be yours. You need to to own it. It has to be yours. And you have to take care of it. And you have to be pursuing hard after Christ. And and so tonight, there's two parables that Jesus tells right in a row. And they're the smallest parables in Scripture. And so if you will, will you turn to Matthew chapter 13? Matthew chapter 13, we're going to see uh, Jesus teaching about two different men. 
And these two different men are, are, are pretty different, at least the way that I perceive this parable. Um, I, I see these two, different, uh, these two guys as, as two, different, two different types of people. Um, and, but I, I want you to join with me in reading Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44. We're going to read verses 44 through 46. Jesus is telling this parable, and he says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys this field. Again, this king, the, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is... This is such an important parable for us to grasp tonight. So if I can unpack it, if I can make it come alive just a little bit um, for us tonight, and then we're going to go ahead and proceed into the message. Um, I, I see two different types of guys here. I see one guy, probably a whole lot more like me, kind of a country guy, probably out uh, scouting his, his, his deer hunting spot. He's walking through this field, and he, he um, may be looking for sheds or something like that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't sweat it. Um, but he's, he's out doing his thing, and he finds this treasure. And we don't know what the treasure is, but this treasure, this, this priceless treasure... And so he, he, he unbear, uncovers it and he looks at it and he just, man, I've got to have it. But he's, he's a man of character, so he puts it back and he goes to town. And he goes to his house and he sells his bass boat. He sells his, 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 his rifles. He sells uh, his fishing poles. He, sells, um, he takes everything in his house and, and he, he, he has the biggest yard sale you've ever seen. And he, he does everything he can, and then he, he br takes all of that money, and he goes and purchases that field, because that field and that treasure is so valuable to him. It's worth more than anything that he's been acquiring, anything that else that he had worked for his whole life. He realized that, that owning that field so that he might own that treasure um, is the most important thing. And so he has to have it. And so he forfeits everything else. He sells everything else so he might have it. The other man is, is probably somebody a little bit more professional. Someone that is, is educated in, in the field of, of jewels. That he understands the value uh, of, of gems. And probably of gold and of silver and all of those things. Probably something like a jeweler. And so he's walking through the marketplace and he sees, and I don't understand this completely, but he sees something. He sees this pearl of great price. This, this, this jewel that is so valuable that it is, it, is, it is far beyond anything that he's ever had in his possession, anything else that he can even fathom ever happening. This is the most, this is a treasure that he's found. And so he goes and he, he puts his business on the market. He puts, uh, he, he has, you know, he puts all of his stuff on eBay. He does all the stuff that he can sell all of his stuff so that he might go back and buy this one priceless jewel. These two men, while they may be very different, had the same thing in common. 
they realized that something was more valuable than all of the things that they had accumulated over their lives. Something more valuable than anything else in this world. They had to have it. And so to have it, they had to sell out on everything else in their life. They went and purchased the field. They went and purchased the jewel. And they finally possessed what they desired. Can I tell you something that that is so much? And, and it's, it's, it's obvious here in the very first part of the passage because Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. And realizing that, that, that listen, we can spend so much time accumulating and desiring and pursuing the things of this world. And listen, there is nothing wrong with money and stuff and, and all that stuff in its proper place. But when we begin to pursue it more than we be begin to pursue God, there's something wrong. And so, so he, he, he likens Jesus' likening the kingdom of heaven. Listen, this is salvation and following a heart after Christ is so much of greater value than anything else in this world. Anything else in this world. Both of these parables have the identical meaning. Salvation is priceless. Salvation is priceless. It's worth more than any other material possession, any accomplishments, any monetary gain that you could possibly fathom. We are called to make a commitment, to sacrifice, to, to give our all for the Lord. And we, we, we understood this at the very beginning of the week. I think it was Sunday night. We, we began to un unpack that passage as, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Remember that? And so when we, when we begin to understand that, that that takes us giving our all. Listen. The Lord's not interested in our leftovers. Are you with me? He's not, he's not interested in our leftovers. He desires all of us. Listen, we have got to take ownership of our relationship with the Lord. We've got to take ownership. Listen, adults in here, um, there are a lot of people that have warmed a pew for a really long time who have never really taken ownership of their relationship with Jesus Christ. They sit in a pew. They do their thing. They rely on somebody else to teach them what the Bible says. And listen, you've got an amazing pastor I, 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 I value him. I know that he is a good biblical, uh, I, th I think he's a scholar. He's a, he's a great guy. But listen, if you are just basing your faith and, and what, your growth on what he's teaching you and what the other teachers and the other pastors in this church are teaching you, then you are missing out. Listen, it's time to take ownership of your relationship with God. And when you do that, what you're going to realize is that you're going to have to sell out of some of those things in your life that you've been pursuing so, for so very long. And so I'm going to give you a couple of things that we really need to take ownership um, b before we can really be owned, and that's going to be the end result. 
to be owned by God. We've got to take ownership of a few things. And so grab your Bibles again. Turn to the book of Psalms. The Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 51. Let me set the scene as you begin to turn there. In Psalm 51, uh, this is a Psalm of David. And this is a Psalm of repentance and, and confession and seeking forgiveness for God, uh, to, from God. And so what has happened till this point is David had come in. He began to, to spend time at, uh, at his home when he should have been out with his men fighting battles. He was back home where he really wasn't supposed to be. He was lounging around, not doing anything up on the rooftop of his home. He looks out and he sees Bathsheba. And Bathsheba happens to be taking a bath. I don't know how that, all, that whole name thing worked, um, how Bathsheba was, happened to be taking a bath, but she was taking a bath, and he sees her, and he says, she is beautiful. You with me? She is beautiful. So here, here's the, the first temptation. He sees her, and the, the, the response should have been to turn away, Right? But the temptation drew him back to that second look and led to lustful thoughts and, and led to, 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 to thoughts that he shouldn't have been having. And so he began to pursue her in his mind and then pursued her um, in, in a physical way. And so he sent for her, brought Bathsheba to him, and they had a relationship. They, 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 they uh, made love and, and they made a baby, and that's how that happens. And so the, we, we find that Bathsheba is found with child. David begins to start trying to hide what was going on. So he sends for her husband, Uriah, which is one of his great warriors. And he, he brings him in from the field so that he might spend some time at home with his wife. But he was a man of character, would not go home because he knew that his men were out in the field. And so Uriah finally um, was given a note from King David. And this, this note says to put Uriah on the front lines so that he might die. So David lusts in his heart, pursues Bathsheba physically. He uh, sleeps with her. He seeks to cover up his sinfulness. And then he ends up having Uriah, her husband, killed. All to cover up his sin. You with me so far? You may have known that story, probably did. So David goes through this long period of, of, of trying to deny it, trying to cover it up, and then finally the prophet says, dude, God knows what happened, right? And so through this series of events, David is going through this process of, of conviction, of, of the Lord drawing him to repentance. And finally, in Psalm 51, we find the, the psalm of his repentance. And so I want you to watch, and I want you to look for words of ownership here in Psalm 51. As we read it, look for time, that how many times that, that David takes ownership of his sin. So read this with me, Psalm 51. It says this, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out, here's the first one, 
my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean wash me and I shall be whiter than snow let the let me hear joy and gladness let the bones that you have broken rejoice hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities I want to stop right there because we're going to we'll, we'll, we'll finish up that passage I, I don't know if you counted but just in the first nine verses David owns his sin eight times. You with me? In the first nine verses, David verbally owns his sin. And he says, it was my sin. It was my iniquity. It was me. I did it. Listen, we live in a world that is blaming everybody else for the dumb things that we do. We blame everybody else. What well, was my mom's fault? It was my dad's fault. It was his fault. It was her fault. It's, the, it's because I was persecuted. Listen, sin is sin, and we are sinners. And until we begin to own our sin, we can never have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. We can never bring those sins before God and say, God, these are, these are mine, and I, I, I seek your forgiveness. Are you with me today? We can never be made right if we're not owning our sin. He says, it's my sin. It's my iniquity. Notice a couple of things. He, he takes, uh, David takes ownership of his sin eight times out of the nine verses. Notice number two, David recognizes that even though his sin involved Bathsheba and Uriah, his sin was ultimately against God did you notice that uh, your, my sin is ever before you notice number three the, the crushing effect of sin and the, the guilt and the shame and the separation and the conviction we feel because of it he says have mercy on me O God blot out wash me teach me purge me create in me restore me uphold me Notice number five, the repentance. See, repentance is not asking God for forgiveness. Repentance is turning away from that sin and from that temptation and once that once caused you to stumble. Notice number six, the, the, the result of the repentance is ultimately forgiveness. Let's look back at the passage in verse 10. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a, a, a right spirit within me. Cast me, away, cast me not away from your presence and take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing 
spirit. You see the restoration that begins to to happen in his life when he confesses his sin. He seeks to repent from his sin. He's being uh, forgiven of his sin. He he says, created me a clean heart. Restore Restore the joy of my salvation. And I want you to really look at this next passage. It says this, Then I will teach my transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, then my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice. Did you hear that? says, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. David says this. David says, if there was something that I could do to take care of my sin, I would have done it a long time ago. If there was enough... Uh, enough bulls that I could sacrifice on the altar, if there was enough incense that I could burn, if there was enough stuff that I could do, if there was enough good things that I could do to cover up all the bad that I've done, I would do it. But there's nothing that I can do to fix my sinfulness. He says, what you desire from me is two things, a broken and a contrite heart. God desires for us to own our sin, to be broken over our sin. Bring that to him. Just like David is saying, God, the, the bones that you have crushed renew, right? He, he desires for us to be broken over our sin, to be, to be contrite, to, to hate that we sinned that way. We need to see sin the way that God sees sin. Are you with me today? We need to see sin the way that God sees sin. And until we begin to take ownership like David does, listen, he was, he was, um, he, he lusted, he committed adultery, he lied, he murdered, What God desired from him was a broken and a contrite heart. And we understand that that David received the forgiveness he was seeking in this psalm. You with me today? That he was renewed. That there was a, God began to create a clean heart in him and restored the joy of his salvation. What a mighty God we serve. Amen. So the very first thing in taking ownership of our relationship with God is taking ownership of our sin. Saying, God, I am a sinner, and if there was something I could do to fix it, I would fix it, but I can't. There's nothing I can do. God, I I pray that you would forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my sin. God, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to live that way anymore. God, give me strength to stay away from that. I don't want to pursue you. The next is taking ownership specifically of our relationship 
with God. See, our relationship with God has has been dependent, uh, has been depending on someone else, at least at some point in our life, because we began to to understand through someone else telling us about Jesus. Right? Then that's that's again that's an important step. But but listen again, if that is where you're continuing, um, you're just growing as much as someone else is feeding you. Can I tell you something that that that's like a baby, right? A baby that is being fed with a bottle. And, and as much as I enjoyed my kids as a baby and holding them in, a ba- in my arms like a baby, I don't want to feed my 19-year-old like this. You with me? That would be weird. I don't want to feed him like that. I, it would, it would, something would be not right. Something would not be natural. Something would be wrong because of that. Are you with me today? We need to be growing in our relationship with the Lord. There needs to be thing. There needs to be growth in us. Before you can own your relationship with God, you must first have been given salvation. You must first, before you can own your relationship with Jesus Christ, you must first be owned. You must first be owned by him. Maybe you've responded to God's call to salvation, but have set on your blessed assurance in a church somewhere ever since that day. Get up. Your prayers are weak and shallow. Your Bible study is limited to what happens at church and Sunday school. Your service to God can be summed up in filling a pew somewhere, all the while still pursuing the things of this world. Give me seeking happiness and fulfillment in the world. Can you imagine if I would have treated my relationship with my wife that way? Think about that for a moment. If on the day that we were married, I told her, I love you, I give you this ring, and then the rest of the time I don't talk to her, spend any time with her, the only time I do spend time with her is when we come to a church service like this where we need to pretend like we're a happy couple with me. Has anybody ever had to pretend that you hadn't been fighting on the way to church? Right? Has anybody ever done that where you're like, you're, you're, you come into church and you, you're all straightened up and you're smiling and you come in, but you've been fighting the whole morning, right? You've been there. <laughs> it's miserable. <laughs> Angelina and I don't get ready, and we don't drive to church um, together on Sunday mornings just for that reason. (laughs) But can you imagine if I treated my relationship with my wife that same way? Our conversation consisted of thanking her for the food that she she cooked and, uh, and asking her for help when I needed it, right? Or, or the only effort I put into our marriages during some sort of a corporate event like church or something like that so other people might see me fulfill my marital obligation and uh, and walking in with her or only time I serve her is in on special occasions like her birthday or Christmas right we're coming up on Easter right Coming up on Easter where one of the, I, I call it the Super Bowl of the church, right? The, one of the most important days. And, 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 and how sad is it that some people just come to church on Easter and Christmas? How sad is it that we, my relationship with, with Angelina wouldn't work that way. Why do we treat God that way? 
Why do we think we have a, rela- a healthy relationship with the Lord when we're just spending such a limited amount of time, very little effort? We need to own it. We need to own it by pursuing God in prayer. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says this, If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will hear, heal their land. Think about that for a moment. If my people who are called by my name will just cry out to me, will just communicate with me, will just bring their needs and their desires to me, will we'll just have a conversation with me. I'll fix what's broken. I'll fix all the things that are wrong in their land. You want to talk politics today? Let's not. Listen, the solution is not in a politician. The solution is not in all the stuff that is going on. Listen, the solution is not, it's not in the next election. The solution is following hard after Christ again, returning back to being one nation under God. Are you with me today? And I have my political opinions too, but can I tell you something? If we would just seek the Lord... Stop talking about politics and start talking about Jesus. That fix a lot. If you're offended by that, then I am really sorry, and this is my last night. <laughs> so I don't care. But are you with me today? I've got some folks in my church. Uh, they can watch this on Facebook Live. I hope that maybe they won't. I've got some, I've got some folks in my church that talk a lot more about politics on Facebook than they ever did talk about Jesus. What a sad thing. What a sad, sad thing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Listen, this is the challenge. Intentionally spend time in prayer and actually converse with the Lord. Spend time listening as much as you do talking. Listen, again, if the only time that I spent with Angelina is, thank you for the food that you've prepared, like we pray and we give the blessing for our food, and I, I say, hey, babe, will you help me lift this heavy thing? Anytime I need help, I, I holler at her, Right? And that's really sometimes the only times we talk to the Lord. Lord, thank you for the food. Or God, help me do this because I can't do it on my own. Man, we need to be seeking the Lord in prayer. We need to be on constant communication with the Father. So by by owning our relationship with Jesus Christ, we, we, we can pursue God in prayer. Or we own it by pursuing God in His Word. Listen, we need to read it. Can I tell you guys something? And if, and if you're not already in college, you're, you will be soon, I'm sure. But listen, there is a lot of college professors that are really smart. And they may know more about this book than most believers do. 
What a sad thing. And, and they have different beliefs than what is in this book. Can I tell you something? This world is looking for truth and is denying the ultimate truth of the Word of God. You want to know what truth is, absolute truth? It's right here. This is absolute truth. It's not what the world is telling us. It's not the ever-changing ebb and flow of morality. It's right here. We see how we are structured and how we are to be and how are we supposed to respond to God and how are we supposed to interact with each other right here. We find the, the right and the wrong, the morality of who we are, the moral compass that we should be living our lives by right here. We find out how we need to respond to hardships and struggles and persecution right here. We find out how we're supposed to rejoice in great times, how we're supposed to, to deal with, with all the struggles of this world right here. You want to be a good dad or mom? Read this book. You want to be a good husband or wife? Read this book. You want to you wanna uh, live a life of significance like we've been talking this week? Read this book and begin to apply it to your life. Read the book. Read his word. Don't depend upon somebody else. Fall in love with God's word. Psalm 119.105 says this, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I don't think any truer words can be said. You want to know how to do something. You want to know how to live. You this is the lamp. This is the light. This will guide you to the path. What an awesome, awesome God we serve. So we need to take ownership of our relationship with God by seeking Him in prayer, seeking Him in His Word, and then seeking Him in service. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I talked a lot about it earlier in the week. But listen, again, we spend a lot of time sitting and not a lot of time serving. Right? We spend a lot of time in the church sitting and being served and not a lot of time serving. Remember, we talked about how we are the body of Christ, and each one of us are, are members of the body. And as we are doing what God has called us to do, and the gifts and the abilities and the talents that he's given us, that we all work together to accomplish the goal that he has for us as believers and as the church. Listen, you want to own your relationship with God? Pray. If you want to own your relationship with God, Read his word. Know what the word said. You know, you know how you want to know how to, to own your relationship with the Lord? Serve in his church. Teach. Preach. Show up. Be here at the workday. Cook in the kitchen. Clean. Love each other. Fellowship with each other. Are you with me today? Make sure that you're a part of the church, an active member of the body of Christ. And too many times, um, it's, it's difficult to find a spot. So we just quit. There's a couple of things that we need to do. First of all, 
they're, they're as much a part of the church as anybody else. They need to have a part. You guys need to want a part. This is an awesome place to be a part of something, something that is bigger than ourselves. Let God do his thing in you here at Lynn Lane Baptist Church. Serve. Own your relationship with God by praying, by seeking him in his word, by pursuing him in service. And the last passage of the night and of the week is in Revelation chapter 3. You'll turn in your Bibles there. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through 22, we find a perfect example of what the world calls success. We find the perfect example of, of pursuing all the things of this world but still coming up empty. Listen to what it says. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through 22. And to, the, and to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witnesses, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would, you that, would that you were either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm, I neither, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, listen, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich and white with white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We find this picture, and listen, oftentimes we use that, that, that illustration or that, that passage um, for the, uh, Jesus knocking on the heart's door of a lost person. It's not what we find. We find Jesus knocking on the door of a hardened heart of a Christian, a lukewarm Christian says, I just want to spend time with you. I just want to own you, and I want our, you to own your relationship with me. I, I always, um, growing up, I've, I've heard, and, and, and there's maybe very many interpretations of this particular part, but I, I remember uh, preachers getting up and pounding the pulpit and um, spitting and, and all this, saying um, that he's going to spit you out of, your, out of his mouth as, as this, you know, I, almost as if he is angry. That, that may be, but the way that I read that passage is I read it from a father's perspective. 
when a son or a daughter has strayed away or you're worried, you're sick to your stomach. You with me today? You're sick to your stomach because you're so worried and you're so concerned over the situation of your child. You're sick. He says in this passage, you think you're rich. You think you've got all of this stuff. You think you have your life all together. But really, you're wretched. You're pitiful. You're poor. You're blind. And you're naked. What a sad picture. But he says something like this. But buy from me gold. Refined in the fire. Come to me and I'll clothe you with righteous robes. I'll clean you up. I'll fix you up. Come to me with a broken and a contrite heart. And like a father desires to do for his son or his daughter, I'll make everything better. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes tonight? As we, as we end this time of revival, I guess my... I guess I want to just give you really two really important things to think about tonight. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Are you following hard after Him? Do you know that you know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and you're following hard after Him? Is your life bearing fruit like we spoke of last night? If you don't know, will you give your life to Christ tonight? Will you seek Him for your salvation? It's not by accident that you're here. Oh, thank you.